And this is a series on origins, the origin of everything, the origins of time, space, matter, humanity, justice, goodness, evil. And uh, today we are in this passage in Genesis chapter two, where we are talking about the origin of gender, the origin of sex, and so there'd be no problems today. Um, <laughs> what does it mean to be made in God's image as male and female? Does God condone all the inequalities between men and women? Is he even the one behind those inequalities? Are there more than two sexes? And who decides that? Uh, I read somewhere this week that Facebook at one point allowed for 71 gender identities and now has, I think it just gave up and has the custom option. Psychologists Maggie Price and Avi Skolnick say that gender identity can be considered a multiverse wherein there are infinite ways by which one can identify. So, so who, who decides? Can anyone decide? Is it cultural experts? And if so, like what cultural experts in what field? Without an authoritative voice, we are just thrown into confusion. And as I was reading uh, the writing of one transgender person this week, they said, I'm tired of hearing what everyone else thinks about my gender. I want to know what does God think. So that's what we're going to talk about today. And I want to just, I want, want to just make a note right at the top here. Um, and I want to say this to everyone here. It is not sin to experience gender dysphoria or same-sex attraction or any feelings in your body. It's very important to hear that. It is not sin to experience feelings of gender dysphoria or same-sex attraction, or any other feelings in your body. To live with these feelings will not keep you from the love of God in Jesus Christ. God loves intersex people, transgender people, gay people, as many subgenres that may continue to divide and appear. Those will be more categories of people for Jesus and his people to love. And it is only this Jesus, this good shepherd, that can bring clarity and healing to this conversation and to our own lives, our own hearts, our own bodies, our own souls, uh, because it is this Jesus we know from Scripture who is the good shepherd who comes to give us abundant life. It is this Jesus who came into the world not to condemn the world, but to save the world. So it's this Jesus uh, who we are going to worship and lift up in this sermon and the rest of this uh, service, and I'm going to pray for us. And whoever's reading scripture, if you want to come on up. Dear Father, we are so small. We are so frail. We are so little, so limited. We are so sinful. We are so broken. We are also so dearly loved by you. So would you come and continue to keep your promises as you always have? And you always will. And would you speak to us? Would you bring healing? Would you bring clarity? Would you bring transformation? Would you bring new life to every single man and woman in this room? Father, we, we love you and we desperately need you. And uh, Lord, would you, yeah, would you just speak through me your words and anything that I have planned to say that you don't want to say, that I would forget it? and anything that I had not planned to say that you want me to say, that you would bring it to mind. 
and just shepherd us through this, um, this passage and this time of worship. In Jesus' name, amen. Yvonne. This is Genesis 2, 18 through 23. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all livestock, and to the birds of the heavens, and to every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he had made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh and shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. This is the word of the Lord. So we are back in day six. We're zooming in uh, on what is happening during day six of creation. And so we have this line, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. So certainly in a big picture sense, we know that it's not good for any person to be alone because we were made in God's image. God is a relational being. God is a communicative being. And God is a, a being who is in community within himself. And so no individual should live life alone. Uh, that is a blessing of the body of Christ is that no matter what our station in life, we don't ever have to be alone because we have been given each other as a gift. And so that is certainly true, but more specifically here, this word for alone really has the connotation for apart or separate. And so what's happening here is, is yes, that's true, but also man was not made to be without woman. Is, this is what we're saying here, is that, uh, remember Genesis 1, 27 and 28, God made them male and female, and, and uh, I don't want to just paraphrase, I want to read this. So God created man in his own image, in the image of God he created him, male and female he created them. So man is only half of this human image of God. And, and female is the other half. And so it is, it is male and female together in which the whole image of God is reflected in humanity. And, and if you have any doubt, just think about the way our reproductive organs are designed. Um, God, this was not a time where God was confused and thought, oh man, I forgot to make somebody else. Uh, this, him saying this is for our benefit. Because um, he wants us to see uh, this reality that, that male and female are half of this whole image of God. And so it says that I will make him a helper fit for him. That word helper means meeting needs where there is a lack or a deficit. So it's this idea that man, male, in and of what it is to be male, 
is there is a deficit, there is a lack. There, it is necessary for there to be female to fully image God in humanity. And this word, you know, this, this phrase, fit for him, means it's this counterpart, this perfect complement. And so it's, it's whatever the, the half of the image of God is in male, uh, the Lord has intentionally and perfectly designed the other half of the image of God in female to, to fit and complement one another. And so uh, we are not only talking about marriage here. Uh, we're going to talk about marriage next week. But uh, what we are saying here is that at, at all levels, it is not good for man to be apart from woman, for male to be apart from female. Males and females need to be in relationship with one another. We need to be in community with one another. We need to learn from one another. We need to hear from one another. We need to be informed by one another. And we have this scene with the animals, the parade of animals that can really seem ridiculous uh, if you read it in, in one particular way, as if um, God and Adam were trying to find in the animals um, somebody that could really be Adam's counterpart. Um, but of course, that's not what's happening here. What's really happening here is, is actually this really beautiful picture of uh, God with man in this innocence in the garden, and, and he's bringing uh, these animals before him. And obviously, we know from the way that this text is written that there is an element of this, yes, that Adam is like taking part and having exercising dominion as he was created to do with God and naming these animals. And it said whatever he named them was their name. So there's this beautiful picture of this like intimacy with God and even with these creatures, like Adam delighting in these creatures, these amazing creatures that God has made and taking part in shepherding and caring for these creatures. But in the context of this passage, we know that that's not the only thing that's happening. This is also happening because God was doing something in Adam. God was doing something in man to show him, to awaken this realization for a need for a counterpart, Awaken, awaken this desire for that kind of like and different intimate community. And so, so we, we read that that was not found and, and the Lord never expected to find it among the animals, but he was awakening this desire in Adam. And then it says that, you know, he, he caused man to uh, go into a deep sleep and, you know, man was formed from the ground and Eve was taken from Adam, uh, woman was taken from man. Why, why is it? I, I don't know exactly, but some things we do know is that the word for uh, Eve being made was built, and that is a construction term. Um, and it's like as Adam was formed like a potter forms clay, um, Eve was built to exact specifications to be the puzzle piece, the counterpart for what it is to be male and what it is to be female. Another thing is that um, this also kind of mirrors the Trinity, is that you have in the Trinity an eternal father and an eternal son, but the son was never made. But they have eternally, from the beginning of eternity, forever past and forever future, father and son. And so it's this idea of, of man and woman being, you know, woman taken from man, but also man and woman together being the full image of God. So just, just chew on the Trinity this week if you get bored. And so this last verse is this, it's poetry. That's why it's italicized and set apart like this, is Adam is responding to God's good design. When he says, at last, 
It's like this relief. Now we see why God has allowed this parade of animals before Adam is it's awakened this desire and this knowledge of this need in him for this other person, this other image bearer, this other sex. And he says, at last, you know, this is bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. So the woman is like the man, but also different and distinct. And it's, it's being enough alike and being enough different is what draws them together to form this full image of God. So this is God's good design in creating male and female, that there's delight, and not only sexually, not only in marriage, not only in romantic love, but in community, in relationship. The, the differences between us, between men and women, between male and female, are meant to draw us toward one another. There should be delight, there should be love, there should be care, there should be partnership, and, and there should be humility. It's knowing that the way that I exist, the way that I'm made, the way that I'm embodied, uh, I'm an embodied soul and I am male, um, that, that should create in me a humility, that I'm only half of the whole image of God. And I need to learn from female. I need to be informed and female needs to learn from male and we together are the whole image of God. And you could really make the argument that the word of God has always been radically feminist. And what I mean by that is that Moses, remember Moses is writing Genesis 1 and 2 at the direction of the Holy Spirit. These are the words of God written through Moses to his people. And at this time, this is radical. Genesis 1, 27 and 28 is radical to say that man and woman are equally half of the whole image of God. That is absolutely radical in every culture of that day. And also Jesus in his day. Uh, we know from the Gospels that Jesus was considered a rabbi. No rabbis had women followers. No rabbis taught women theology. But Jesus did. Jesus had plenty of female followers. And Jesus didn't just have them following him around to do womanly things. Jesus was teaching them theology. We have, you know, just one little example is Mary and Martha. Mary was sitting at Jesus' feet learning theology from him. And Martha said, hey, get her to get up and serve in the kitchen with me. And Jesus said, no, I'm not going to do that. She needs to be right here. Luke 16, 18, Jesus, as he's talking about marriage, he speaks out against the rampant abuse of the whole divorce policies in their culture. And he's saying, this is wrong. The way that men are freely divorcing women, the way that men are freely mistreating women is wrong. And he quotes Genesis 1, 27 and 28. You were both male and female made in the image of God. And the way that you are behaving, this lack of delighting, this lack of care, this lack of respect, this lack of humility is not God's good design. It's wrong. And so now we're going to move into some applications, which are going to be really fun. Um, I feel like Dusty Slay. I'm just going to tell you, we're having a good time. You guys are all loving this, and this is all good. Um, okay, so a question, and, and I, just, I didn't want to miss this opportunity for us in our denomination. If all of this is true, then why do we only ordain men to the office of elder? So I'm giving you a gift now. So you may not agree with what I'm about to say, and that is fine. You're welcome here. It's, we don't all need to agree on everything, but... Now, if you just don't know why and you're tired of like kind of hanging your head when this comes up and like, I don't even know why, but it makes me feel weird. You're welcome. Here's what we're about to talk about. 
So there, there was something significant about man being made first, okay? If you think about it, God, there was a, separate, a significant separation in time when God created male and God created female. God made man, God gave him commands. Remember, he said, you are to work the garden and keep it. You are to not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And he, he allowed him, he gave him this exercise of authority in naming the animals, um, and then ostensibly he would report this to the woman and relay to her what has transpired before she existed. Now, the ins and outs of what all this means, I don't know. I don't know the full extent of that, but I, I don't need to because 1 Timothy 2, 12 and 13, Paul cites this, Adam being created first, as the reason why the apostles did not allow women to have the role of elder in the church. He says, the reason I don't allow that is because Adam was formed first and then Eve. And that's also why Jesus only called male apostles. And so um, God also, he does not have genitalia, but identifies himself as father. And Jesus came to earth as son, as a man, as an embodied soul that is male. So why? Why is this the case? It's a living picture it's just like the way we talk about marriage. It is a living picture, a living testimony of the way that God is with his people. It is a very imperfect living picture. Lord, have mercy on me as an elder in this church. But it is a living picture of Christ being the head of the church. He speaks authoritatively to us and we listen and obey. And not just some of us, all of us, even elders are submitted to the other elders and we are all collectively submitted to Jesus. That's really who we are submitted to, every single one of us, male and female, including elders. Certain men have been called and gifted to carry out this office. But what it does not mean, it does not mean that men are more gifted than women. It does not mean that men have any elevated status. It does not mean that women cannot teach men. In Acts 18, we have this um, story of Apollos, who was this traveling evangelist with Paul, and it says that he was teaching, uh, and, and this married couple heard him, and the author, Luke, the author of Acts, makes a point to say it was not just the husband, but the wife also took him aside and taught him more accurately how to teach the gospel. So it's not that women cannot teach men in any form. That is not anywhere in scripture. It is that in the body of the church, this, the church is a living picture of Christ and his people. And, and for God's purposes, he's saying, I've made male and female, and I want males to hold that position not because they're more gifted. There are, there are women probably in this congregation who are more gifted than I am at teaching and vision and leadership. And that's, so, so please hear me. That's not what we're saying. What we are saying is God's like, this is the picture that I want. And I know it's going to be imperfect, but this is what I want. It also does not mean uh, that the scripture does not say anything about women being able to head up corporations or any other organizations. In Philippians 4.3, Paul references women laboring side by side with him for the gospel. 
These are my gospel partners in ministry, just like these men are. We are laboring hard side by side for the truth of the gospel to go out into the world and to bring fruit and to, to transform people's lives. In Acts 1.14, Jesus and his followers um, are always, we have a picture, one instance of it here, but they are always in intimate prayer together in community as men and women. They're not separated. They're together seeking the Lord together shoulder to shoulder as men and women. So we're rolling. Let's just keep swinging for the fences. So um, now that there, now, um, are there more than two sexes? Does this text still apply in light of gender dysphoria and intersex conditions, or is it completely outdated and has nothing to say to us anymore? Again, we need to let Jesus be the one to shepherd us and lead us to the truth. And so there's this passage, if you want to this week spend more time in it, Matthew 19, verses 3 through 12. Jesus is, is fighting for the rights of women in marriage. And in doing so, he says, um, he talks about eunuchs. And, and we'll get to that in just a second. But I want to make it really clear. Jesus lived in a time uh, in the Roman Empire where there were plenty of men living like women and plenty of women living like men for all sorts of different reasons all across the spectrum. You name it, it was happening. And so Jesus was not unfamiliar. The people of Jesus' day were not unfamiliar with these concepts or gender fluidity and whatever name you want to put on that. And he actually discusses, when he talks about eunuchs, he actually discusses people that were born intersex. And he also addresses people that have had medical procedures to impact their gender expression. And he, he also talks about people everywhere on the sliding scale of what it is to be a, a man who may not feel like a, a man in a man's body and vice versa. Listen to this, what he says in, in 19, Matthew 19, 12. For there are eunuchs who have been so from birth. There are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by men. And there are eunuchs who have made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. And in light of this conversation, in the same breath in the same moment he cites Genesis 1 27 and 28 that God made humanity in two sexes male and female there are two sexes but there is a wide spectrum of experience of what it feels like to be a male or to be female those who experience gender dysphoria experience it most acutely feeling as though they were born into the wrong body and so what if you are someone who experiences gender dysphoria? Or even more so, what if you are even in, in the less than 1% of the population of the world who is intersex and has both sexes genitalia? Those who are both male and female. What does this passage say to you? What does Jesus say to you? Well, let him shepherd you. Let him shepherd you into life. Um, there is no marriage in the new heavens and the new earth, but there will be gender. We will still be, we will be in glorified bodies, but those bodies will still have gender in some way. So, so do not try to shepherd yourself through this because this Jesus alone knows who you will be for eternity, and so go to him. And it is safe to go to him because he knows what it is like to experience what you are experiencing. In Isaiah 53, 7 and 8, 
uh, we are told that Jesus experienced life as if he were a eunuch, that he was oppressed, he was afflicted, he had no biological offspring. He was alone in that way. And more than anyone, more than anyone who ever has lived or, or, or ever will live, Jesus knows what it is to experience feeling like a stranger in his own body. Where do I get that from? Jesus was in perfect relationship, lived a perfectly holy life, perfectly innocent in the love of his father. And when he went to the cross, his body was flooded with all of the sin of the world, with all of the sin of humanity, all the darkness, all the filth, all of the evil, all of the rebellion against God was flooded into his embodied soul, into his very being. And so believe me when I say he knows what it is like to feel like a stranger in his own body. And Jesus did that so that you and I could have life. Every male, female, no matter where you are on that sliding scale of what it feels like to you to be male or female, we are all in desperate need of a savior. And Jesus is that savior. And Jesus has done everything necessary to take our sin away from us so that we could have life in him forever. Isaiah 56, three through five, God is talking to intersex and transgender people. God is talking to the eunuchs when he says this, do not let anyone say who has any different, differentiating um, non-binary sexual thing going on, do not let anybody say that that thing alone is gonna keep me from God and keep me from having a future. People are separated from God by our sin, not our experiences of being male or female. He says, if you come to me to find life, you will have a future. You don't ever have to worry about that. In Acts chapter 8, we have this beautiful, we, we studied this, go back and listen to that sermon. We studied this last uh, fall uh, as we are going through Acts, but it's Philip who has been sent by the Holy Spirit to this Ethiopian eunuch who has, who has had a procedure done to him probably when he was a, a young man uh, to remove all genitalia so that he could serve in this particular position in the queen's court and not be a threat. And the Holy Spirit sends Philip to this man to share Jesus' love with him. And this man, upon hearing the gospel, asks this question, see, there's water right there. What prevents me from being baptized? What prevents me from experiencing the love of God in Christ? What, what prevents me from being made new? What prevents me from being adopted into God's family? And the answer is nothing. The answer is absolutely nothing. We, we all need Jesus to shepherd us into our maleness and femaleness, not any other voice, conservative or liberal. No other voice in culture can tell us what it is to be male or female. Only our God who created us, only this Jesus the good shepherd who is leading us to abundant life can tell us what it is to be male and what it is to be female and how to live in these bodies no matter how we feel about them. And thank God he gave us this body that you and I do not have to walk through that alone. That we have one another, we have Jesus coming to us in flesh with skin on through our brothers and sisters who can hug us, who can listen to us, who can pray with us, who can encourage us, who can remind us of what's true. And y'all listen, right down that hall 
is a whole room full of children that we are responsible for. And based on the, the numbers, there are going to be children in that room who experience gender dysphoria. And, and how are we going to love them and shepherd them? Is this going to be a place where, where nobody ever talks about it and, and they only feel like they're a problem and that something is wrong with them and there's no way that God could love them? Or is this a place where we bring each other to Jesus and we say, you know what? I don't know, but he does. And no feeling that you feel or experience is ever going to keep you from his love. We are all made in the image of God, male and female, but our core identity now is in Christ. Galatians 3, 26 through 28 says this, For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. Male and female, you're actually all sons. What does that mean? It means that we are so hidden in Christ that it, it's like he, he is our identity. We are the son of God through the son of God. We are all sons of God through faith, inheritors of our great inheritance, which is life with him in eternity in all perfection. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male or female. For you all are one in Christ Jesus. This does not mean that there is no difference between male and female, but what this means is that all of those identities are secondary now because your identity and my identity at its deepest, most core that everything else grows out of is that we are in Christ. And that is the reality that either we are in Christ or we are not in Christ. And for those of us who are in Christ, we have nothing to fear no matter what we experience. No one can snatch us out of the Father's hand because he who is in us is more powerful than he who is in the world. He who is in the world who would, who would uh, whisper lies to us that there's no way that God could love us, he's been defeated. He is toothless. He can, only, he can only try to scare us. He cannot do anything to us because we belong to our Lord. And whether you are intersex or you are heterosexual, um, we are either in Christ or we are not. And if you are not, you need a Savior. You are... You are um, dead in your sins. And the only one who can bring healing, the only one who can bring new life is this Jesus. And so like the Ethiopian eunuch, lay aside your pride, both in arrogance and in shame, and run to him and say, with him, what is there to keep me from being baptized into the family of God now that Jesus has finished his good work? And the answer for you and for any of us is nothing. Nothing. So run to him. And now we get to experience this in a physical way today. We get to take the sacrament of the Lord's Supper. And this is a physical, tangible, powerful, spiritual reminder and, and encouragement of what is true about us in Christ. And so uh, it doesn't matter if you have never come to this table before or if you've come to this table a million times. If you belong to Jesus Christ, even if you are coming to him in faith right this second for the very first time, then this table is yours. And it says in scripture, don't, don't cower, come boldly to the throne of grace and receive mercy and grace and help in time of need. And the reason we practice this regularly is because what Jesus did the night that he was betrayed with his disciples, it says that he was celebrating the Passover meal. He took the bread and he broke it and he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Feed on me for life and sustenance. You have to have me. 
And he, after the meal, he took the wine and he poured it out and he said, this is my blood that is shed for you. My blood that is shed for you for the new covenant. I have, have drunk God's wrath down to the dregs on your behalf. So this wine that you drink now is actually the cup of the wedding feast. You don't have to be afraid of God anymore. You will be married to him for all of eternity because of what I've done. So come to me and find life in him. 